Welcome back to another episode of Med Reg News. This is episode 8 and it's the next one in our new and exciting short series of episodes looking at things you should know in the world of cardiology. Last time we spent some time considering nuclear cardiology and on today's episode we're going to be exploring adult congenital heart disease. The latest statistics from NHS England show that four out of every thousand adults living in the UK today will have congenital heart disease and most patients with ACHD will require regular monitoring, expert care and follow up at a centre with expertise in ACHD throughout their lives. It's a dense and often complex topic to dive into so thankfully we've got a brilliant guide to help walk us through it. Today we're going to be hearing from Dr Natalie Chung, who is a consultant cardiologist specialising in adult congenital heart disease. Dr Chung has been a consultant at Guy's and St Thomas's NHS Foundation Trust since 2009 and has been clinical lead for the Adult Congenital Heart Disease Service since 2014. She is a member of the European Society of Cardiology's Working Group for Adult Congenital Heart Disease and the British Congenital Cardiac Association Council. And she has played a significant role in developing a wider ACHD network across Kent, Surrey, Sussex and the east of England as the co-clinical director of the Congenital Heart Disease Network between Guy's and St Thomas's and the Evelina London Children's Hospital. If we were looking for a wise and authoritative voice in this field, Dr Chung is just the person. And we are delighted to have her company on today's episode. So, let's not waste any more time and let's jump right in. This is what happened when I spoke to Dr Chung earlier this summer. Really hope you enjoy our chat. First of all, Natalie, could you explain to us what's adult congenital heart disease is and why are the numbers of adults with it growing? Sure so actually uh, that's a good question because adult congenital heart disease often gets confused with inherited cardiac conditions Um, so ACHD uh, are the set of conditions associated with structural developmental abnormalities of the heart so they um, encompass conditions such as ASD, holes in the hearts, down to abnormal plumbing with um, anomalous pulmonary venous drainage to the missing chambers, so patients with single ventricles, as opposed to ICC condition, which may not present until later in life when, when the phenotype presents. And the no- reason why the numbers of adults with ACHD are growing is that the care of these patients from fetal through paediatric and uh, into adult uh, life has developed over the years. Whereas previously in the 1950s and 60s, many patients would die without any intervention with the development of surgical interventions and percutaneous interventions and medication. Now, at least 80 to 85 percent of the patients who are diagnosed in paediatric life survive into adulthood, which is far more than previously. So every year, year on year, most adult uh, ACHD services would expect to see a 5-10% to increase in the overall patient population. Oh, that's quite a lot. Are, are there any particular causes for these conditions? 
So the majority of cases actually are sporadic, but there are certain genetic conditions that are more associated with structural abnormalities. So patients with Down syndrome, who, you know, which is relatively common, approximately 50% of patients with Down syndrome will have some form of congenital heart disease. And patients with 22Q11 deletion, so and some of you might know that as the George syndrome, there's a higher incidence of congenital heart problems in those patients. And depending on the genetic abnormality, they may be associated with a particular type of congenital heart abnormality. But within those patients where we say, you know, the majority are sporadic, there probably are some genetic associations, chromosomal abnormalities we just don't know about yet. And would these people always be known to the congenital heart services from childhood or do you get people presenting to you for the first time as adults? So we get um, many patients presenting to us as adults or being referred on to us during their um, adult care. So probably on average, 50, 60 percent of our patients come from paediatric services, but the, the rest are new diagnoses um, or new referrals into the system. For example, if somebody's known to have a condition from abroad and, and, and moves to the UK, but we, get, we do see a significant number of new diagnoses in adulthood, um, even um, patients diagnosed in their 70s or 80s. A lot of those tend to be, clearly they're relatively benign lesions the majority of the time, such as atrial septal defects. So congenital heart problems can be picked up in fetal life, early neonatal life, throughout childhood and into adulthood. One of the things I was reading about congenital heart disease said that 10% of the ACHD population today fall into the complex group. What would set a patient apart as having complex disease? So there is actually a set of guidelines because congenital heart disease covers a huge spectrum of abnormalities. So it's any structural abnormality. So as I said at the beginning, you know, we, you're looking at patients with a simple condition, like a very small, what we call restricted ventricular septal defect. So hole between the two pumping chambers that actually is so small that it doesn't have any hemodynamic effect on the circulation. Although there are some recommendations that we would give to patients because of the associated risk of endocarditis. So it's not a completely benign condition. And that moves through a spectrum of patients such as patients with tetralogy of fallow, which is a condition that many of you will have heard of, and that would fall into the moderate group of patients, assuming that the uh, patients had a decent repair earlier on in life and it's no longer blue. And then you move into the more complex patients, which are those with single ventricles, patients with significant ongoing cyanotic congenital heart disease that can't be palliated. And, and then some of the patients with combinations of complex lesions, which so individually somebody may not have a complex lesion, but in combination with other lesions, then patients can become complex. And that's one thing that we always say is that if you find one thing that's wrong with a patient, don't stop looking at the rest of the heart, because often these patients have more than one structural abnormality. Yeah, it's such a broad range, isn't it? And in in patients with any one of these congenital complaints, what sort of investigations would you routinely do on them? How, How would you monitor the disease progression over the course of their adult lives? So the basics are the same as any specialty within cardiology. So obviously history, examination, and in particular in um, our patients, uh, we routinely look at patients height and weight particularly in the late teenagers who may still be 
growing, but also keeping an eye on patients' weight is helpful in terms of helping to tease out different causes for symptoms. So, you know, clearly somebody who's short of breath and has a BMI of 40 may have very non-cardiac reasons to be short of breath. And we, we measure their oxygen levels as well on a routine basis, which most cardiology clinics don't do. And that's because we cover that broad spectrum of patients who may have cyanotic disease or pulmonary hypertension in association with their congenital heart disease. And ECGs can be really helpful. So, and chest x-rays, which sounds old fashioned, but if you play a game, you can look at somebody's ECG and chest x-ray without looking at their history and try and guess what the congenital lesion is. And then, of course, you move on to the echocardiograms to help with both diagnoses, but also surveillance of ventricular function, valve function, the progression of any obstructions, such as if somebody's got a subaortic membrane that may be growing, does their LV outflow tract obstruction increase over time? And then in terms of cross-sectional imaging, we use a lot of MRI plus or minus uh, CT so MRI and CT are complementary, uh, depending on what we're looking for. And then finally, um, we do use invasive investigations with diagnostic cardiac catheters to assess uh, shunts, look at pressures and pulmonary vascular resistance, and also diagnostic cardiac catheters uh, that involves angiography, not of the coronary arteries, but of pumping chambers, looking for outflow tract obstruction, looking at the pulmonary arteries, looking for supraaortic stenosis. So, you know, obviously depending on the uh, lesion that you're looking at. Mm. Are there any congenital heart diseases that tend to be more common than others? Which would you see the most of? So the most common lesions that we see are atrial septal defects and ventricular septal defects. And they're the ones that you'll probably most likely come across in in general cardiology clinics as well. In terms of moderate lesions and things that general cardiologists are most likely to come across, tetralogy of fallow is a common condition. And then there is a condition called uh, atrioventricular septal defect, which is similar to somebody having a both of ASD and VSD in simple terms, but also has associated abnormalities of the equivalent of the tricuspid and mitral valves. Coartation is another condition that people come across relatively commonly and should be looked for in young patients with systemic hypertension. So they're probably the most common things that we see. And then clearly as a Specialists, the specialist service will see the complex patients. So we will see a lot of patients with univentricular hearts because they're not being seen anywhere else. One of the things you mentioned a few moments ago that is quite common in ACHD is pulmonary hypertension. And I was just wondering if, I know this is possibly opening a whole new big topic, but could you possibly briefly explain what pulmonary hypertension is and just touch on how we can manage it if we see it? Pulmonary hypertension, a bit like congenital heart disease, is a very broad term. In itself, pulmonary hypertension means that you have high pressures in the pulmonary arteries. And previous definitions have put that as having a mean PA pressure of over 25 millimetres of mercury. But the most recent guidelines, that has come down to 20 millimetres of mercury. And there are various reasons why you might have that. And in general cardiology, you'll see a lot of patients with 
left-sided heart disease, you know, long-standing systemic hypertension, long-standing combinations of diabetes with atrial fibrillation. And those patients have high left-sided pressures. And so they can develop what's called post-capillary pulmonary hypertension because it's the back pressure from the left side of the heart that causes the increase in pressures in the lung arteries. And we see that in patients with ACHD as well, if they've got lesions that are affecting the left side of the heart. So patients with abnormal mitral valves and subaortic stenoses that can cause significant long-term back pressure into the lungs. But the other type of pulmonary hypertension, which is more can be more difficult to treat, is pulmonary arterial hypertension. And that means there's actually damage to the pulmonary arteries themselves, to the vascular bed. And that causes the increase in pulmonary pressures. And we see that in patients, for example, with large ventricular septal defects. So that's where you have the hole between your two pumping chambers. You get a lot of blood going from your high pressured left ventricle, going across the hole into the right ventricle and out into the lung arteries. And if the shunt, if the amount of flow is large and that pressure effect on the pulmonary artery takes effect, then that can cause damage to the pulmonary vascular itself uh, and, and result in the development of pulmonary arterial hypertension. And pathophysiologically, you can see changes in the blood vessels themselves as well that contributes to the symptoms. So in terms of what general cardiologists can do with pulmonary hypertension, actually, the most important thing is, is recognising it in the first place and, and generally then liaising with a specialist pulmonary hypertension centre who can do the investigations and the workup to work out why they have pulmonary hypertension and what potential treatments are. And in the case of congenital heart disease, those patients need to be referred to an ACHD centre because some of those interventions may actually um, involve a congenital form of intervention rather than just changing medication. Thank you. That's such a clear explanation. This next question is possibly a little bit of a tricky one because, as you said, the scope of congenital heart disease is so broad. But what symptoms might we see in somebody who presents to hospital with symptomatic ACHD? What sort of history or examination findings might raise the suspicion for it? So the commonest reasons that patients present to A&E with congenital heart disease is heart failure, arrhythmia, and perhaps intercurrent infection causing the emergence of symptoms. So in terms of history, people often present actually, one of the most common ways in which people present in adult life is, is an incidental finding. So it wouldn't necessarily cause any symptoms. But in terms of if you're assessing somebody in A&E, then patients with shortness of breath, palpitations, patients who may have a good history of a relatively, certainly in terms of breathlessness, you know, a relatively long history of a gradual change in their exercise capacity uh, and, and then suddenly presenting in heart failure. And new onset of palpitations in someone with a young age, um, you know, you should always think about whether or not there's underlying structural um, abnormality there. Clearly, if you see a patient that can't give you a history and you can see surgical scars or scars that suggest they may have had some type of cardiac catheterization before, then that would raise your suspicion that there is some form of underlying congenital heart disease. In terms of examination, you know, you're looking for signs of heart failure and, and their heart rates. But other things to consider are the signs of pulmonary hypertension. So, you know, are they cyanosed? Do they have signs of right heart failure? 
do they have an RV heave, a parasternal heave that reflects the right ventricular hypertrophy? Do they have a primary component to the second heart sound? And of course, murmurs, depending on what type of congenital heart disease somebody might have. The other reason that patients might present is because of endocarditis. So, you know, patients with uh, unexplained illness, fevers, where you might be considering endocarditis anyway, but certainly if they've got a murmur that's not been previously known about, that would raise uh, suspicion. And when you go back and speak to some patients who present with endocarditis or you speak to their parents, you know, actually the parents might mention, oh, yeah, when so-and-so was a baby, they were noted to have a heart murmur, but then it went away and we were told, you know, and, and then it was never followed up. So patients with, as we're going back to the beginning of the interview, when I mentioned, you know, very small VSGs that are hemodynamically insignificant and, you know, patients aren't followed up because they were thought to have closed up in childhood but may not have totally closed up and patients present further down the line with endocarditis because that turbulent blood flow is still there. Yeah, it sounds like a really rewarding part of cardiology to work in because you're able to follow people up over such a long period of time. The, the last thing I'd like to ask you is, yeah, what, what is your favourite thing about being a cardiologist? So actually, you just mentioned it. Specifically about being an adult congenital cardiologist, one of the things is that you do get to know your patients and you can build up relationships with patients. And it's great to see somebody from the age of 16, you know, and follow them through and then hear about their A-levels or their university studies or their first job or their, you know, getting married, first starting families. So that is one thing about congenital heart disease in particular that a lot of us um, enjoy. The other thing about cardiology is that it's really broad. You know, we cover uh, large areas of um, subspecialty expertise. And within adult congenital heart disease, actually all of those things are rolled into the same patient or there's a large patient group, but are rolled, are rolled into the specialty. So, you know, we're often seeing patients and we're dealing with their heart failure or their arrhythmia or their structural intervention. So if you want an area of cardiology, that's going to keep your brain ticking over. It's going to keep you interested. And it's not just about boring uh, blocked coronary arteries then uh, ACHG is a place to go <laughs> yeah and and on that point we have a lot of cardiology trainees who will be listening to this do you have any words of wisdom for them as they embark on their future in the specialty and look towards becoming consultants themselves so I think the one thing that I would say to any cardiology trainee is that there is no rush to become a consultant and it becomes more difficult with the changes in training structure over the years. It has become more difficult than it used to be in terms of trying to get exposure to different specialties and even within specialties to build up that experience and, and subspecialize within your own, you know, within each particular area. So I think going in with the mindset that there's no rush that you will, it will take some time, uh, apart from perhaps the pain in a new training system of having to do some general medical course for a longer period than, than my generation used to do. You know, the cardiology, the more experience that you have as you go into being a consultant, the, the you know, the more confident and the more enjoyable it would be when you first start out, um, you know, in your consultant career. And the other thing to just say is once you are a consultant, the learning continues and people's careers continue to morph. And so, you know, what you do at the beginning of your career as a cardiologist, uh, as a consultant, may not be what you do 15 to 20 years down the line. 
Very wise words. Thank you so, so much for your time. Really appreciate it. No problem. So fantastic to spend a little bit of time in Dr. Chung's company and to have her so clearly and concisely explain to us all about what life is like as a cardiologist specialising in adult congenital heart disease. Some great tips about looking ahead in our careers too and not having to feel like we need to rush to reach any particular milestones. Life in medicine is one long learning curve and that takes on lots of different forms for each of us. And as Dr. Chung said, it doesn't stop even when we reach consultant level. If you've been enjoying the MedReg News podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to drop us an email at medregnews at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at medregnews. This series is all for you and helping you navigate your medical careers. So we're always delighted to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. We hope you're all keeping well wherever you're tuning into this from and we will be back with you again very soon for more MedReg news.